Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. All right. How many of you grew up in environments, church, let's say, maybe we'll call it a tradition, a Christian tradition, where um, you maybe regularly in worship, recited the Apostles' Creed. Anybody kind of grow up in an environment? A lot of, a lot of you did. That, that's, that, that's, that's awesome. I, I think doing that, encapsulating the whole gospel message in our hearts and minds is something that's memorable, can be something that uh, really does uh, fill us uh, with that, that message of hope that we can carry with us. Um, a pastor from Texas, uh, his name is Pastor uh, Billy Strayhorn. He's a Methodist pastor. He tells a story of a Sunday school teacher in his church who taught her, her students, um, I think they were middle school students, taught her students to recite the Apostles' Creed. I think these were maybe fourth and fifth graders. Um, anyway, the pastor came in and heard them doing that. And the way she would do it, she would assign each child in the class a part. And so they would memorize their part, and every Sunday when they gathered, they would recite the creed, each child saying they're part of the creed. Well, the pastor saw it and thought it was beautiful, thought the whole church would see it, so he invited them to come into, you know, big church one day, and, and they came in, and, and they were going to recite uh, the, 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 the Apostles' Creed, uh, and it began beautifully. The first child uh, stood and said, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. Uh, and it was just, you know, just spot on. The second child stood and said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Uh, just everything was going along so smoothly. The, the third child stands up and says, He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And then there was this really, really long, awkward, kind of embarrassing silence. And a little girl, kind of in the back, she didn't stand up, but she just spoke up and said, the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit, he's absent today. (laughs) Now, some of you are aware that that would have been the next line in the Apostles' Creed. And one of the things that I have prayed this week is that those who believe in the Holy Spirit would not be absent today, but would be on. Um, you can go to uh, an app. You can go to the App Store and download an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It's, this, it's the best Bible app out there, Joe's opinion. You can download YouVersion, and then you can go to events every Sunday, and under events, you can find River Bluff Church and click on that and make that one of your regular events. And every week, you know, on your phone, you will find the teaching notes. And so all the scripture, pretty much all the scripture we use, the, the, the notes, you can fill in blanks, you can do all that right, right in your little phone. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, um, that may be a way for you to kind of keep up uh, with things and th- th- that we're going to do. But we're going to move through scripture very quickly this morning. So uh, hang on to your hats. We're going to start in the Gospel of John. Um, and uh, end up in the book of Acts. And they kind of flow uh, together, so that'll be easy. So John, chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, you may want to open there or swipe there. Jesus, um, at this point in his ministry, had crowds following him. 
Crowds were, were following Jesus everywhere. And at this point, he began teaching uh, the crowds even, as well as his disciples, that one day he was going to leave and they would not be able to follow him. Now, again, that's, crowds followed him everywhere he went. But there was a coming day he, he began teaching, I'm going to go, and you're not going to be able to follow me. Look at John 7, verse 33. Jesus said to them, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Jesus spoke those words to a crowd that day. Then over in John 8, 21, I want you to see that Jesus speaks this regularly. John 8, 21, he said this. Jesus said, so he said to them again, I am going away. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, that unique crowd that Jesus spoke those words to were right after the Pharisees and scribes had drugged this woman caught in adultery and just kind of tossed her out and publicly humiliated her later at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is communicating to them that there's going to come a day. You're going to be just dead in your sin, and you're going to try to find me, and you're not going to be able to. If you jump over to John chapter 13, John 13 verse 33, Jesus now is going to speak directly just to his disciples about this. He says this, little children. And, and let me give you the context for John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is being spoken to his disciples in the upper room on the night before Jesus would be crucified. So this is that night of Passover celebration. Jesus says, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I had said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand this and be captured by this. And Jesus knew after he spoke these words that his disciples' countenance fell. He knew that they were struggling, that they were sorrowing, and, and Jesus wants to encourage them. So he tells them in John 14, verse 16 through 18, he says, I'm going to ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that he, wasn't, he was going. They wouldn't be able to find him or see him or be with him in the same way any longer. But he was not going to leave them. God was not abandoning them in this moment. He was going to send a helper, the Spirit. Jump down to verse 26 of John 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Friends, that's why we're able to have the Gospels because the Holy Spirit came and he reminded the, those apostles, those disciples of everything that Jesus had spoken to them. Now, the, uh, up until this point in John 14, they're still in the upper room. John 14 ends by tell, saying, telling that Jesus said, arise, we must go. And then Jesus led them that, that night through the city of Jerusalem, down into the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and then into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that on that journey, Matthew, I mean, uh, John chapter 15 was spoken. John chapter 16 was spoken. Jesus is still teaching. And so we see Jesus now in John 15 telling his disciples this. But when the helper comes, he's still talking about the coming. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. He's the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
He's telling them he's coming. The helper is going to come. And then if you jump over to John 16, Jesus is continuing this teaching on the way to the garden. And he says something in John 16 that personal opinion here, okay, just personal opinion. When he spoke these words, these next words that we're going to look at, I don't think the disciples believed him. I, I just don't, I think they heard it and I think they went, there is no way. And I, I believe that many Christians today don't really believe that what Jesus is about to say is true. Look, if you would, at John chapter 16, starting in verse 6. Jesus said, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, try to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of the disciples. Those, those gathered there. At this point, there were 11 of them with him. If you just think about their lives, you know, before Jesus, their life had just been on life's treadmill. You know, they were fishermen and tax collectors, and that was, that was their life. They were just going to push into whatever that career field was for them. They had no real purpose in life, no real passion in life. They just got up, did the deed, went to sleep, got up the next day. It was that kind of thing. And then one day, that mundane, repetitive, treadmill life got interrupted by Jesus of Nazareth. And everything changed for them. And for three years, they had completely rearranged their, their world, their lives, so that they could be present to see everything he did, to hear everything he said. That Again, about how much the Father loves me. I'm never going to see your hands do miraculous things like breaking bread and feeding thousands. I'm never going to see or hear a good thing for me. No way. That's, I think, what was going on in their minds. Now, I think if anybody else had spoken those words to them, they would probably think it's just a cruel joke. But they knew Jesus didn't play cruel jokes. That's not who he was. Maybe other ordinary people might, might kind of do that. Kind of like parents. You know, when we're... Uh, parents get ready to discipline their kids. Sometimes they, they might say something like this. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Just so you know, parents, kids don't believe that for a minute. They, they, they don't buy that. They think you're just telling them that so maybe they won't be mad at you after, you after you discipline them. Jesus wasn't telling them this so that maybe they wouldn't be mad at him or, 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 or sad or angry. He's just, he's very serious about this. And Jesus is saying that the reality is, it is going to be better for you for the spirit to be in you than me with you. And they just don't get it. And Jesus was eager for this. He, he wanted that. Now, friends, this is something we need to think about deeply. And, and it's not just something we need to think about one Sunday. We need to reflect on this regularly. Because I don't think most of us, I think most of us believe it would actually be better if we got Jesus beside us. And Jesus said, no, it is better for you that the Holy Spirit is in you. He's saying, friends, we us, we have an advantage over those people that in that day that just heard Jesus and saw Jesus and got to touch Jesus. Jesus says it is better for us. 
I want to press on over into the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is still with his disciples. He's not ascended yet. But in in Acts chapter 1, just before, and remember, this is after he's risen from the dead. He's appeared to the disciples. This is one of the very last things we know of that he says to them before ascending to the Father. And he's talking to them. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Friends, if you don't have that underlined, highlighted, circled, starred, whatever you do in your Bible, I want to encourage you to do that. You will receive power, Jesus said. It is, it is something that, I think sometimes we think that what Jesus meant was, we'll, you'll receive further instructions. Or some of us may think that what Jesus meant was, you're going to receive some really cool doctrinal stances. Or, you know, maybe somebody might think, oh, we, Jesus meant that you're going to receive, you know, kind of a do-it-yourself kit for planting churches or something like that. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will receive power. He said, basically saying to disciples, boys, if you think the last three years, two and a half, three years have been something, you better hold on to your hats. You better seatbelt in because it's, you're about to go on the ride of your life. When the Holy Spirit comes, when he lands on you, you shall receive power. And that's exactly what happened. The book of Acts tells us um, that a short time later something happened. The gospel writer John tells us that one of the things that occurred in the lives of the disciples um, after Jesus had been crucified is they, they went in this room and they locked themselves in and they were afraid of the Jews that might come and get them. And, and we, we keep seeing them showing, kind of showing up in this room. In Acts chapter 2, we read this starting in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The disciples In this room, maybe they were still locked in. Maybe after Jesus ascended, they got afraid again. I don't know. But they were were in this room, and all of a sudden, this same room, this, this same group of people, out of nowhere comes this indoor hurricane. Okay, it starts as an indoor hurricane. Bill Walsh and Live 5 News couldn't predict it. You know, it just, it, it, it came. And while this windstorm is going on, fire comes into the room. And it separates as little tongues of fire and, and lands on each one there gathered. It, just this personal fire running over them. But instead of burning them, they, they received the power. And they began to speak in other languages. 
Now, this is not the the kind of speaking in tongues language that some people think about. This is the kind of language that they did not know but were able to speak. And we know that as the story goes on, they ended up spilling out into the streets. Now, it was a celebration going on um, in Jerusalem that day. It was the celebration of Pentecost. And they kind of spill out in the streets with this. And people from all over the world are gathered to celebrate Pentecost. And they get caught up in this. and, And all of this noise, they start gathering around, we know there were at least 3,000 people who heard what, all, all of this commotion and, and were attracted to it. And so they come and they gather around these disciples and they're from places like Egypt and places like Greece and they're hearing what the disciples or the apostles are now saying in their own native language, speaking in Greek. The apostles are speaking in Egyptian. And of course, you know, some of them had to have been speaking in, in the King James English because we all know that's what the Holy Spirit truly speaks in. (laughs) Bad pastor. Bad pastor. Sorry about that. Anyway, this unbelievable, they were now doing something they never did even when Jesus was with them. But the title's a little misleading because on the day of Pentecost, there was nothing shy about the Holy Spirit. Nothing shy. He, He did not make an introvert entrance into the room that day. He showed up powerfully, poured himself out. He didn't tippy-toe around. It was dynamic. Jesus has said you would receive what? Power. And they received power that day. And the apostle Peter, you know, foot-in-the-mouth Peter, the guy who just weeks before had denied Jesus, denied even knowing him three times. Jesus saw him deny him. Denied him three times. Peter now stands up in this new power of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks up, and he preaches this message. And the Bible says this about those who heard the message. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the arrest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation before where, where you're just overwhelmed, you're overcome, and you just look at somebody and say, oh, oh what, what do I do? That's what took place in the crowd that day. They said, what, what must we do now that we've heard this message? And Peter and the other apostles told them, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to repent of, of sin, and you must turn and trust Jesus because he's the only way to God the Father. And the Bible says that the church that day grew from 120 to 3,000 in that moment because the power of the Holy Spirit came. But friends, if you keep reading those early chapters of the book of Acts, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, you're going to see something, a power released to form a community that had never been seen before. A a community where where division had existed before with with classism and racism and sexism. Suddenly all those things are gone. That That was how people had existed as far back as anybody could remember. But now this new community comes. People who had been once hostile towards each other, Jews and and, and Greeks, hostile towards each other, rich and poor, hostile to suddenly all of those things were destroyed. It all fell away. And they became one, one community. It was like unheard of, it was unthinkable because there was a power. The Bible tells us it was so powerful that nobody claimed the things that they owned as their own, that they shared them with everybody. It was so prevalent that the book of Acts makes this statement in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. 
Now, friends, think about history, about what life was like in the first century. Poverty, disease, suffering, hardship. And now there's this new kind of community that forms where those who had been opposed to one another are now family. They are drawn together, so much so that there's not a needy person among them. What could do that in our world? The power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that could do that, it's the only force. It was the power to change lives. And that's why Acts chapter 2, verse 43 tells us, and awe came upon every soul. Everyone who experienced this, they were, just, they were in awe. Jesus was right, as Jesus always is. They received power. When the Holy Spirit came, everything changed. Nothing would be the same ever, ever again. And that same power to see life change came available to everybody who follows Jesus today. That's what the scripture teaches. See, the Holy Spirit didn't die off when the last apostle died. He, they, he didn't just fade back to heaven or something like that. The Bible tells us if you've been made right with God through the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that you have trusted Jesus to have your sin paid for because you couldn't pay the penalty for it, and you've devoted yourself to, to follow him. The Bible says, it uses this language, if you've done that, you're born again. You, you've been born again. And what that means is the living Holy Spirit of God came into your dead spirit because Before this, you were dead in the sight of God. You were cut off from God in your spirit. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, the Bible said. But the Holy Spirit came into you and breathed the life of God back into you. And you passed, the Bible says, from death to life. Friends, that's power. That's the first resurrection. That's power. And that power is still living in you. It's a power to to, to change your life. It's a power to help you grow in your faith. It's a power to help you grow in your personal walk with Jesus. It's a power to help you grow in hope and grow in love and grow in peace and grow in joy. It's a power available to you right now in, in the here and now. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that in each of us. Now, in the moments that we have left, I want us to look together at three ways There are many more, but at least three ways that you and I can personally engage the Holy Spirit so we can have that kind of power released in our life. But before I give you those, I want you to watch a video. It's a testimony of one of our sisters here at River Bluff. It's Michelle Whitman. And she's going to tell you, share with you, her personal journey through uh, a resource that we are opening to everyone now called the Growth Plan. I want you to... Pay special attention to what Michelle tells you about the Holy Spirit's movement in her life at each stage of the growth plan. If you guys could run that, please. Hi, church family. Michelle here. Just wanted to share a little bit with you about my journey through the growth plan. You know, the growth plan is different. It's not a Bible study or a book that you might was not an area I probably would have picked. I didn't feel particularly weak in that area, but it goes to show you that we all have room to grow and we are never done in any certain area. So I was open to it and ready to dive right in in identifying my training partner. It was very interesting that before she even knew my area of growth, the Lord had sent her to the very same area of growth. 
But what's fascinating is that the path that the Lord took her through in her journey in this growth plan was entirely different from mine. We both needed the same growth area, but we needed different things. And that just underlined for me how individual this is. So I jumped right in. Uh, I sent my results in and received an individualized growth plan that had lifestyle changes, which are practical things that you can can do right away to begin practicing. Um, it has scripture on it. It has way to engage with scripture, ways to engage with scripture through quiet time. And it has other resources, which are good for me because uh, it also included paper books, which I still read, uh, in addition to things like videos and podcasts. So there's really something for every learning style. And for me, I read, I journal, that's what I do. That's how I spend quiet time with the Lord. So I dove right into the scripture, which really is just a jumping off point because that scripture led me to other scripture. Um, and the whole time I would pray through it and I would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what he specifically wanted me to hear or see or know. And then I would jot that down and begin to look for patterns, begin to try to connect the dots. All throughout this time, my training partner would say things that would, would challenge me as I would talk about my journey and she would talk about her journey. It would give me some different perspectives and different things to think about. So it was, it was really vital that I had her along praying with and working through this with with me. Um, so I began, as I said, to read through the scripture, to really journal about it. And God used really old, really well-read scripture to show me really new things. And it all began with, with, with the Lord saying, I want to take you to the basics. So, okay, let's talk about justice and injustice. How does Jesus, how does truth define those things? And we started there and he walked me through that. And then from there, very basic questions. Who is my neighbor? Who is poor? Who is the poor? How does Jesus interact with, with these folks? How does Jesus interact with Samaritans? Jews and Samaritans weren't friends. How does, how does Jesus react with the poor? How does he interact with those groups? How do his followers do that? How does the community at large interact with those folks? And there were many places in scripture that the Lord sent me and he began to show me things through that and through uh, the resources I was also reading, I had already self-identified a book that I planned to read, um, and it just happened to be relevant. That's how the Lord works to, to my plan. So I started to put all these dots together, and I started to say, Lord, okay, you're showing me all of these things. What do you want me personally to do with that? And the Holy Spirit was showing me places where I needed to repent he was showing me wrong thinking. He was showing me places where I had preconceived notions, fears I didn't know I had. He needed to work through those things in me. And so that's what he did uh, throughout this journey. What happened throughout all of this was he took a lot of this head, head knowledge and it became heart knowledge through all of this. And so when the horrible unrest in our country happened last year, I had fresh perspective. I had fresh eyes on how to love people in Jesus' name. I had all of this learning that the Lord had shown me for this purpose that I didn't see coming. I had all of this. It was humbling. It was enlightening. 
it was powerful and it, it was life-changing. And so I'm really excited to see where the Lord takes me on my next growth journey in my own plan. I'm really excited to see where he takes me next. I'm excited for you and where he's going to take you. Uh, so I encourage you to engage with this. Begin praying about it now. Um, and as I prayed for you and prayed for the words to share with you in this video, um, I, I really hope you see and give God all the glory for what he's going to do through all of this. I certainly do. And I'm so thankful to the Holy Spirit for taking me deeper with him. God bless. For those of you who have been in relationship, it's, is, I think I'm there now. For those of you who have been in relationship with Michelle, you know that she has a vibrant, and has for years, has a vibrant personal walk with the Lord. One of the things that I, I think, I hope you pick up on here is the Holy Spirit is still at work in her. And he's using this little tool. He used this little tool called the growth plan. It's, it, it's a notebook like this that you can access. You can, get it, you can also access it online. It can be sent to you as an electronic PDF file that you can interact with. But it's just a tool for, for you to walk with the Holy Spirit and let him show you what area of your life he wants to work in right now. And it'll be different for everybody. You'll take a, an online assessment that will help kind of narrow the focus and field. You'll look at uh, different attributes of growth. One of the attributes of growth that I'm very excited is a part of the growth plan is the attribute of learning to hear the Spirit's prompting. And you'll learn how to do that. And maybe that's what the, the Holy Spirit will, will lead you to. But here's what I want to do in the time we have remaining. I want us to think together about at least three ways. There are many others, but three ways that we need to, we all need to be personally engaging the Holy Spirit. The first way that we need to be engaging the Holy Spirit is we must first embrace the mystery of the Holy Spirit. We must first embrace the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many things in this spirit. Friends, there's a mystery to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. It blows, he blows in ways that you cannot predict, you cannot control. All you can do is go with it. Michelle, in her testimony, one of the things she said that she was surprised at where the Holy Spirit took her. She wasn't anticipating that. Friends, as you walk with the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be filled with surprises because he's going to take you places you never would have imagined that you were going. You probably, you know, you'll get to a place like Michelle did. She thought she had it kind of going on in that area of her life, and the Holy Spirit said, I ain't done with you there yet. I got more that I want to show you. There's more, more grace here for you, and, and the longer I'm a Christian, the longer I've been in ministry, the more I see that. See, the Holy Spirit is God in spirit. He's, he's sovereign. You don't get to tell him what to do. He wants to tell you. He wants to show you. You know, there are, there are times in my own walk with, with the Holy Spirit that I, I know he's there, but then there are some days I just don't even really think about him that day very much. There are other days, the Holy Spirit, I, I, days when I... Days when I least expect it and sometimes days when I absolutely don't deserve it, I find myself just kind of covered in his grace, overwhelmed with his mercy, experiencing his presence. I, I, I didn't see it coming. There's, there's a mystery. 
And we've got to embrace that mystery. He's sovereign. And we've got to understand that from the outset if we're going to walk with the Holy Spirit. Because, see, it'll impact your prayer life. You know, there, there's a prayer. In fact, I brought it in. This sits on the bookshelf next to my desk. And I'm just going to read it to you real quickly. This is a prayer. It says, God, I, I, I heard somebody pray this on a podcast that I was listening to, and I had to go down, I, I had to go back and type it up because it, it was profound to me. It said, God, help me to do what you want to bless. Father, I know you're going to do some very exciting things in the world today. Would you give me the privilege of just being in on some of them? I just want to be on what you're doing. I want to do what you're blessing. I used to pray, hey, God, I got this really cool idea. Would you bless it? And God said, mm, probably not. Didn't come from me. That's something of your flesh. Get over it. And, and the Lord helped me see, I need to think differently. I need to pray differently. I need to trust the, the, the Holy Spirit in, in, in those moments. And see, when, when we're embracing the mystery Life becomes so much more beautiful, and our faith is not rigid. It's not, you know, kind of mechanical. Jesus said the wind blows wherever it wills, and so is life in the Spirit. Dennis used that analogy about a sailor and the wind. Friends, here's what most of us do. Most of us think our spiritual life is, is like a paddle boat, and we got to paddle really hard and really fierce to try to get to the next destination, what we have to do is, friends, we got to pull in the paddles and put up the sails and let the Spirit of God blow us where he wants to take us because he is sovereign. Second thing that we need to do to engage the Holy Spirit personally is this. We've got to align with the work of the Spirit. We've got to align our lives with the work of the Spirit. Now, on the one hand, there's a lot of mystery a lot of mystery to how the Spirit moves. On the other hand, the Bible tells us, gives us some very black and white kind of guidelines of how we need to interact to align our lives with the work of the Spirit. I want to give you three of them real quickly. First one is this. The Bible, and, and, and it's kind of like this. There's two things to avoid and one thing to employ. First thing to avoid, the Bible says, is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve him. Ephesians chapter 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And God's word makes it clear that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we choose willingly to disobey, when we choose willingly to engage in sin. Friends, we cannot claim the power of the Holy Spirit if we defy the commands of the Holy Spirit. We can't claim the power if we're going to defy the commands. See, the Holy Spirit's a person, you can't just have your way with him. He's grieved when we choose uh, to reject the will of God and pursue our own things. And here's what will happen. When you're doing that, when I'm doing that, it may be a season, it may be a day, it may be a moment. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And you're going to hear a little voice. There's going to be a tinge somewhere in your heart, in your spirit. It's gonna, you're going to be convicted. When that comes, please do this. Stop and listen. Stop and listen and, and, and repent. See, Jesus determined in advance that, you know, that the best way for you and I to access God's grace is by not grieving the Holy Spirit so that we'll have access to that power. Second, very, very clear biblical guideline of how to align with the work of the Spirit is do not quench. 
Do not quench the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 tells us, do not quench the Spirit. And quenching the Spirit in this capacity means don't throw water on the flame. Don't try to put out the fire. Don't try to extinguish what the Spirit's doing. He wants to prompt you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. Don't ignore that. Embrace it. Engage it. Step into it. When, when it happens, respond. Move completely into it. Don't, don't reject it. Friends, sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and he's going to prompt you to call somebody. And you're not going to know why. And you're going to think, why would I want to call that person? I'm not even happy with them right now. But you call that person, you obey, and you find out God does something incredible. There's something powerful there because you follow the prompting. Sometimes it'll be like that. You'll immediately see the result of having obeyed the Spirit's prompting. But other times you won't. Do it anyway. Just when that prompting comes, follow through. You may not understand immediately. You may not understand in this lifetime. But one day you will know. We just need to make up our minds that we're going to relentlessly say to the Holy Spirit, I am going to follow your promptings. A third thing, word. Everywhere it talks about the Holy Spirit, just do a topical study on the Holy Spirit. Read some good, good books. I'll be glad to recommend several to you about the Holy Spirit. Maybe using, maybe using the growth plan, the, the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you to know more about how to engage him, how to hear his prompting, how to, how to listen to him speak to you. But get to know the third member of the Trinity Read about his activity in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Don't grieve him. Don't quench him. Walk with him. That's the call to align our lives. A third thing that we can do to engage with the Holy Spirit is this. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, and that, what we're talking about is praying. Okay, you're talking, you're asking of the Holy Spirit. You're asking conversationally, you're asking relationally. You're engaged with the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, we need to pray to our Father. And yes, we need to pray to his Son, our Savior, Jesus. But here's the question, and, and, and many of us are good at those two. When was the last time you prayed specifically to the Holy Spirit? I mean, called out, Holy Spirit, I'm coming to you. I have this going on in my life. I need your power. I need you to, to release your power. Is there anybody in the room today that needs some power? Maybe power to break through something. Maybe a compulsion, a hurt or habit or hang up. You, just, you, you need power. Maybe, maybe a relationship that you have needs some work. Maybe there's a pain out of your past that just is just beating you up and you need, you need power to break through. The Holy Spirit wants to release power in your life. Jesus said, you shall receive power. And this was something that the Apostle Paul, the churches that he ministered in, he regularly prayed for those churches. If you go through the New Testament, Paul's writings, and you study his prayers, one of the things he regularly prayed for was the power of God would come, the Holy Spirit's power. Look at this from Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says this, writing to the Ephesians, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through what? Through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have what? 
power together with all the saints. Not just you individually, but, but us corporately, that we would all have, have that power. Friends, there, there was this dream in the heart and mind of God that is the church that the Holy Spirit would come upon ordinary, just ordinary, regular people, ordinary men, women, boys and girls, and, and would fill them with his presence and, and his power, that they, they would become unceasingly committed to God. They would become irrationally devoted to, to each other. And they did. And the question I think that we need to ask is, can it happen again? Do you want it to happen again? Do you want to see that kind of church? Do you want to be those kinds of people? Has the Spirit lost its power? God's Word would tell us no. The Spirit is filled with power. He's he's not less capable of transforming lives today than he was back then. So what have we asked for it? What if we just made the decision that we're regularly going to ask for it? Well, what might happen? What if uh, all of us, as, as a habit, when we, when we drove onto the campus, and we, you, know, you run over that little bump, and you just prayed, Holy Spirit, today, as we gather, will you pour yourself out? Will you, will you send your power? In our worship, in the teaching, will you fill this place? Holy Spirit, would you do that? What would happen? If, if we did that, what, what would happen if we, we asked the Holy Spirit to empower us with the gospel message where we live, work, and play? What would happen if we asked the Holy Spirit to empower marriages that are just teetering on the, the brink of, of, of falling apart? What if, what if we asked the Holy Spirit of the living God to, to empower broken relationships between parents and children? What could it look like if the Holy Spirit's power would come? What, what, what would life look like? You know, 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us when, it, when the Holy Spirit came, hearts were changed, the Spirit moved, and there was not a needy person among them. What would it look like if we all really became students of the Holy Spirit, really sought to align our lives with his work, really prayed and asked him to empower us, really, truly embraced his mystery of who he is? What if we decided we are not going to quench, we are not going to grieve, we are going to walk, we're going to walk by the Spirit? I'll be the first to admit there's a lot I still don't know about the Holy Spirit. But there is one thing that I do know. I've seen it and I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen it in some of yours. There's power. There's power when the Spirit is present. There's power when we crucify our flesh and walk by the Spirit. You, Jesus said, you shall receive power. What if? What if? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, we come to you now, believing, trusting 
that you are in this place. You want to do in us. We've got to give up control. We've got to, we've got to say, Holy Spirit, we're available to you. We're trusting you, not ourselves. Holy Spirit, would you, would you come? Would you come and mend marriages? Would you come and repair relationships that are broken? Would you come? Would you come in this moment and fill our hearts and minds? Would you come and point to places where we need to repent, where we need to change thinking that is God outside of the realm of your word, not truth? Would you replace it with truth, God? Holy Spirit, we come. We come in this moment again to declare ourselves available to you. We come in this moment desiring to be empowered by you. We come in this moment wanting to align our lives with the work that you want to do. We come. Move in us. Breathe on us. Fresh Holy Spirit. This is our prayer. And we pray it in the name of the one who said he would send you and that we would receive you and your power. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.